Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to the Robert Lane Creative Careers Podcast, the podcast about creativity and making a living in the arts. Before we get into it, I'd just like to play you a bit of this. Listening, hear me. I may not pass this way again. Begin at the beginning. You were here to pass the time. The sound of a sleeping city made you feel alive. Thousand hearts and Karen Afraid to meet you right A single point of reference That you were trying to find Though it was all you had You were still satisfied You never were looking back You never had to That was a sample of my new song, Listen In, which was released on the 1st of August. You can get access to a free download of the song by joining my mailing list. I'm also running an ultimate mixtape challenge. Create a Listen In playlist with my new song, Listen In, as the first track on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, or wherever you listen to your music. Send me a link or a photo of your playlist and I'll share it. There's a prize for the mixtape I think has the best songs. There's details of all of that on my website, robertlaymusic.co.uk, where you will also find information about this podcast and the previous guests I've spoken to. I've been getting some great feedback about the podcast, and it's fantastic to hear from you. It'd mean a lot to me if you could subscribe, rate and review it on your preferred podcast provider, as doing that encourages the algorithms to push it to more people. It's also very handy when I'm talking to potential future guests, as it shows that people are listening. Thank you. Hi Giles, how are you? I'm very well. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right, thank you. Um, a little bit warm, and I've just shut the window because of the road noise. But other than that, these are these are small problems in the grand scheme of things. <laughs> well, it's it's actually pouring with rain. It's really murky and drizzly and miserable down here on the south coast. Yeah, it's um, worst of both worlds at sort of points, isn't it? Mm. Some, sort of hot, but but rainy. But here we go. It's August in the UK. Yeah. We're used to it. We can survive. Exactly. Here. Whereabouts on the south coast are you? So I'm a little, little town called Seaford. I've lived here all my life, um, all 42 years, nearly 43. Um, yeah, and it's um, it's a beautiful little town. It's right, uh, sort of, I guess, geographically, it's best to sort of describe it as being in between Eastbourne and Brighton. It's just along that stretch of the coast. Um, but it's just a little town. It's probably like a population of about 27,000 people. Um, just, you know, lovely little community of people and nice schools and yeah, just, I've been here all my life. I've never wanted to leave really cause it's so idyllic. We're right next to, you know, right on the South Downs and mm. right near the sort of seven sisters and, um, beachy head and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's, um, very pretty. Cool. And so you've spent the whole life there. There's never been like a year mm. or two away and, you know, interesting. Cause no, a lot of no, time people want... go for a year or two and end up having a sort of refound, refound, um, appreciation for where they come from. Mm. Don't they? And where you are, it's interesting how things just change, isn't it? So I'm in Birmingham and when we moved to where we are now, we want it, we're not in the city center, but we want it to be near on the train and mm. close to my wife's work and all this. But the course of the last six, seven months, it's just funny how things change and it's like, Oh, it'd be nice to be a bit quieter somewhere like it, you know yeah. just how life changes things and i think a lot of people are going through that at the moment aren't they but sounds like you're already in the ideal place so there you go yeah no we've been really lucky and like i say i think for i mean during the pandemic it's because it's quite as i might be doing it a disservice i've described it as being a sleepy town and it's not a sleepy town as such but it is you know it's not there's no you know there's no real hubbub or anything particularly mm. um you know we've got a high street and stuff like that, but, and, and supermarkets, whatever, but it's not, um, yeah, it's not the, the center of the universe by any stretch of the imagination. So it's, um, it's kind of in a way we've kind of not been uh, so affected perhaps by the pandemic. I mean, you know, it feels like, 
you know, when you go to town, it's not, it's not like being in, you know, can imagine in a city, big city center or, you know, London, it's much more, um, stark, I should imagine, um, during the lockdown, particularly, mm. um, must've been quite, quite eerie, I should imagine, but yeah, we didn't sort of notice it so much here. We've got really nice places to go and have walks and stuff. So, um, you know, you don't tend to see that many people sometimes. Mm. And at home, do you have a space set up for writing and for creativity or, or not? Um, no, we, but you know what? It's one of those things we've been talking about doing actually during lockdown. Cause we've got a little summer house, which has just been a shed mm. been acting as a shed. And then we started watching loads of those George Clark programs. My wife's like her, she's trained in interior design. That's her thing. And she's designed, she's, um, did like, she used to work as a, a kind of commercial designer doing stuff for like Sainsbury's and stuff. Mm. She's now become a teacher, but, um, so design and interiors and, and architecture and all that sort of stuff is really interested in all that stuff. So we do watch a lot of those sort of programs like Grand Designs and that. And then watching that Amazing Spaces program that George Clark does where he, you know, it's just like a little, you know, it might be a shed or someone converts a, an old an old Volkswagen Beetle or whatever it might be into some sort of immaculate thing. Mm. And we, I suddenly start thinking, oh, well, they've got this summer house. We could set up a little... Cause she does a lot of sewing. She could do like, I said, it could be like a still sewing area for you. We could do like, I could have the podcast set up there. Cause at the moment, um, particularly with the podcasting, I'm set up in the bedroom. Um, I was using my, when I, during, um, school time, my son was in here using a desktop. So it was in his bedroom doing it. Um, and on a tiny little school, like old school desk, um, which wasn't like my knees were not liking <laughs> it too much. Um, but yeah, so I mean, sorry, this is a long convoluted answer to your question is that I'm generally in the bedroom. We've got like a little desk set up in the bedroom and, um, you know, I've got the, as you can see, the books behind me, which everyone's got in these, uh, zoom chats. And, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, yeah. So yeah, that's my area really, which I go, but I mean, writing wise, I mean, for writing, um, I've got a laptop. I can write anywhere really. Mm. Um, and you know, I always carry around pencils and paper. So, um, the world is my desk, as it were. I mean, I can go, you know, I, I there's a really lovely coffee shop, um, which I, I normally shout out on most podcasts I'm on, um, called Backers in Seaford, where I am. And they that's a really great place to go and write. I go in there and have a nice cup of coffee in the morning. You know, obviously pre-lockdown, um, we'd go there regularly. And write. I was writing a book actually just before lockdown. So that was my place to go and mm sit and actually just take in the universe a little bit you know because it uh, being a writer it's quite isolating as you can imagine you're just on your own a lot of the time so it's nice to get out and see people and people watch and hear what conversations people are having and cafes are amazing for that kind of thing mm. a couple of things from that that are really interesting to pick up first of all the amazing spaces so i'd never seen that before i mm. was quite into it and so i've sort of consumed all of those <laughs> over the past couple of months <clears throat> and same thing you just get these ideas like yes a converted yeah. railway carriage in the garden would be just <laughs> yeah. just the job that's perfect that's that's interesting um and again i bet that's going to be really you know the zeitgeist at the moment with people just escaping, creating little quiet places for themselves, even if it's in their own garden or whatever. Absolutely, um, yeah. With the podcast and stuff having set up, does that mean that you're having to set the gear up each time you're going to record? And how does that affect things? It's similar to like talking to musicians who, if they've got the guitar ready to go all the time, it's a lot easier. You can, you can just pick it up and start to play, whereas you've got to get it out of its case and find the leads for yeah. the amp and all that. Those are all barriers to just playing. Is it the same yes. for the podcast? Um, no, well, I've been like, really lucky actually because um, I've I bought. I mean, I, I had a bit of work at the, at the start of lockdown, some podcast work, some more commercial pod producing stuff, and so I was able to sort of invest in some new equipment. Mm. So I bought a Rodecaster Pro, which I, I think I spoke to you off air about, which is a um, like basically a podcast studio in one unit, and then um, I've got one of these boom mics set up on the desk. So it's always in and I've got like all oh, these cool. road mics, um, road pop mics, which is all set up. Um, so yeah, I'm, I mean, podcast wise, I've only just literally got to turn the, put, put my, my, um, computer on really. Cause I'm all set up. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I mean, I do music as well. So I mean, music, I think, I think the idea of having this kind of space mm -hmm. that we could all use would be that it would be set up kind of more permanently. And we'd, you know, we'd have everything sort of kind of, yeah, because I, you know, music as well, like I sometimes get out, I've got a little graphics 
um, sort of little um, sound card, like an interface that I use and plug my guitar in and go on Logic or whatever to do if I'm recording some ideas or whatever it might be. So we're sending stuff to the, the guys I'm in a band with. Um, so, yeah, I think it'd be nice to have something set up more permanently for that, for sure. Uh, but the podcast, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I've been really lucky that I've been able to sort of keep it all up and just, I literally just have to turn the mic around and, and, um, hit, hit record. So that's, that's quite nice actually. And mm. I know I feel, feel quite fortunate I've got that situation. Mm. And then for writing, so to get away somewhere else with like a cafe or, or outdoors mm. and stuff to write, is that your preferred method? Do you write from home as well? Or is the combination the, the sort of key of it? You know, I think it's different with different books, actually. Like the last book I wrote was a nonfiction book, um, which was just, and we've just sort of finished editing. It's something Jim and I have been working on. Um, Jim from from Blank Podcast. Uh, so that was a nonfiction book. And I think it, it really helped to be out, like I say, listening to conversations and stuff, hearing what people were saying, because a lot of the book was about, it's about sort of like, you know, the human condition and various different things we go through in life and uh, I really wanted to sort of hear and listen to people and, and actually strike up conversations with people and get their ideas on stuff so that was really useful for that to have that outlet of going to to somewhere a communal place where we I could connect with people and talk to them about various different subjects um for writing like fiction though I don't know I think actually that solitude is quite helpful sometimes um certainly when I was writing my book 152 days which came out just before lockdown um, which I finished writing over a year ago, but um, or eighteen months ago even. Um, that that was solely written at home, I think, on my own, um, and it was important to have that solitude. I think so I could really be sort of dig into those my own sort of psyche and thoughts, and not have too many distractions. Um, apart from my, I, I'm a lot of writers will say this is sacrilege, but I often listen to music when I'm writing as well to just. I feel like it um, hits more emotional spots and I will make playlists as well. Like I make play- playlists for when I'm writing um, particularly the verse novel stuff that I write, mm. um, which 150 days was very much like having a, a playlist of, a, of emotive kind of music would help with that process for me. For sure. Interesting. I wonder if we could have a sort of brief uh outline of how we got to to where you are now um, mm. and publishing your first book and i think i'm right in saying that music was kind of a focus up to the point that you were writing that first book is that fair yeah yeah absolutely yeah i mean um basically from the time i kind of dropped out i mean i i've been mean, going back even further education was not i mean i'm not an academic by any means and i found school really difficult and challenging uh, and i came out of secondary school uh, with like one GCSE, I did really badly in my GCSEs, and it's just just never could kind of lock into was, education. Was that a lack of interest in academia or or, or an ability thing? Because it, it can be either. Kind um, of- yeah, I think a combination of different things. I didn't have a lot of support from at home. Um, my um, we live. I was living in a one bedroom flat. My dad and my grandmother mm. um so it was a very challenging teenage years were very challenging and you know we didn't have much money all that kind of stuff and but there was all that kind of stuff going on in the background distraction it was a distraction and and for some people school would be a distraction in a good way they would pour their energies into it but i just really struggled academically i just didn't find i don't know what it was really perhaps just not being able to find my thing I mean, the only thing I really, really enjoyed at school was sport. I mean, I wasn't particularly good at most sports, but I enjoyed playing them and being mm. involved. But I did like running. Running was the thing that I was okay at doing. And I sort of did excel at that slightly and sort of competed in school championships and stuff like that. And that was kind of the only thing. And I thought, I guess I thought I might carry that on. But never again, it was sort of lack of encouragement, I think, from from peers and, 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 the, and, and obviously at homes. And just sort of kind of bumbled along going to college and then at college again I was you know again the academic stuff I struggled with but I met some like-minded people I met um a guy who was really into the same music as me you know I was really into the sort of grunge thing and 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 beyond that as well like sort of metal and I just 
started to get really ravenous about music, just really wanting to listen and take in as much music as possible and started kind of dabbling with like learning the guitar and with me and this, um, this guy, Joe, we started a band together. Just, he was in another band who were, who were really good and they had really good, a lot of really good musicians in it. Um, but you know, we were sort of trying to learn the guitar. He was a singer in that band. So he, you know, but he was really encouraging and he was, it was kind of like, you know, really encouraging me to learn and, and to, you know, and even to have a go at singing and, and writing lyrics and all those kind of stuff. It really kind of started to put those kind of ideas mm. into my head and, and yeah, music became a big thing and it was a thing I wanted to do. You know, I knew, realized fairly straight on, it was something that I was really, really into and, and I wanted to just, um, really go at it like a hundred percent. Um, which had been nothing I'd ever really done before that had, had, you know, even like things that I thought I was good at, like running and stuff, I'd never really committed to those things, but the music I really committed to, um, and really loved it. And yeah. And so we, we did a band together and that was, you know, it was just like a bit of fun. And then, uh, his old band split up and I did like a, I joined a punk band and we were a bit, um, a bit awful. It was a bit of an awful punk band. And then we just came back together, the two of us and started working on a band mm. um which ended up being a band called little 10 and uh yeah we 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 got a couple of other guys involved and we had a great time i mean we did it for about four or five years and we got to tour and you know played some big festivals like glastonbury and um did a couple of eps and yeah it was an amazing time um yeah just for my first sort of steps into creativity you know always we always wanted to write and make our own music we didn't never you know a lot of guys in a lot of um bands around that time that we were playing with that were doing covers and stuff and it was like nah, we want to do our own stuff so yeah it was a real kind of um it was just such an exciting time just getting into doing all that stuff mm. um and yeah just making making music it's just really, yeah, it was really special, actually. Yeah. And then how did the idea of writing come from that? Yeah, so, I mean, I guess, yeah, so, I mean, obviously the band, um, which happens with most bands, we ended up splitting up, um, which was, you know, it was, it was, you know, really sad. We were all really devastated about it. Uh, and then I think the timeline is a bit foggy, but I think mm. I got married and then was sort of just doing a few, and I think I was still trying, I was still playing with the bass player and the drummer from the old band. So I think we were just sort of kind of still thinking that it might be a thing that we would carry on, mm-hmm. carry on doing. And then, uh, found out my wife was pregnant and I thought, oh, I really want to, it'd be really nice to do something to sort of commemorate like, our, our new child coming into the world. What could I what could I do? Could I, could I write a song? I didn't really want to write, like, you know, like a song for kids. I thought a bit sappy, maybe, um, maybe I could write some lyrics or a poem or, you know, and it sort of evolved into wanting to write a story for him. And, uh, yeah, then I just suddenly again, a bit like with the music, the sort of floodgates open to this sort of desire to mm. want to to write and I would just go to bookshops and look at all the stuff that was around and find look for ideas and and um you know it was kind of learning again it was like learning the guitar you know learning the guitar in the first place it was like learning learning to write learning to see what other people were doing and taking on those things and just yeah but buying lots of kids books and I used to go around charity shops and looking for old stuff and then one day I mean I was really struggling with it as well I couldn't get my head around what to do. And then one day I was in a charity shop. I worked at a toy shop at the time in Lewis, which is a town up the road from us. And, uh, I was in a charity shop and I found this book of nonsense poems by an author called Shel Silverstein, who I'd never heard of. And then subsequently I found out he wrote lyrics for like Johnny Cash uh-huh. and, um, he'd done, um, I mean, like in America, every kid's got a Shel Silverstein book. He's like Roald Dahl is here. He, you know, Shel Silverstein is like a household name. You know, he's huge. 
Um, but yeah, it was kind of nonsense poetry, a bit like kind of Spike Milligan esque, you know, silly with like really cool little illustrations. And they were just, and I, I just, it just started a spark, you know, it was like one of those sort of eureka moments, like a, a light bulb sort of flicked. And I was like, ah, oh, this is, this is what I want to write. This is exactly what I want to do. Something like this. And then, yeah, I, I remember like that, buying that book and then running back to work in my lunch break and writing my first picture book story. Um, and yeah, and then subsequently started thinking about sending it out to people and, and kind of the rest is history a little bit, but yeah. So that was kind of the catalyst of it, I suppose. And it's interesting. There's a music connection there as well. If he was writing lyrics, it's mm. sort of, do you find this like, cause I'm interested in lots of different things and like play music and acting and through lockdown, actually thinking about writing and what sort of writing mm. I could do, sort of through necessity almost because I'm not out gigging, which is what I would normally be doing. So it's like, yeah, well, yeah. what are the other things that I might be interested to do? And then you sort of find, for me, you find these sort of not icons necessarily, but just people who kind of lead away because they've been and done it already. So if I come across someone who's a musician but has acted a bit, I sort of go, okay, well, it is possible to do those two things. Yeah, yeah. Come back. So would that be a similar thing for you in Finding Shell? It's like, oh, okay, it's not it's not that the – because something I ask people who've done a few different sort of disciplines is, is there a voice in your head that says – you write songs not books you know what are you what are you doing here or as you change genre when you're writing it's like well you would do this already no one's going to be interested in something else from you and i get that but then it's like as if anyone as if i've got any right to be writing songs in the first place anyway i'm only doing that because i do it exactly. so it's the same for everything else yeah i think yeah and i think we give ourselves a hard time about that sort of stuff don't we mm. in that you know we feel like we're sort of trespassing in a into another creative outlet yeah. that's not you know and you think oh i was i think i felt a bit like that when i f- first started writing thinking oh this isn't and also feeling you know i mean i suffer from terrible imposter syndrome anyway but that thinking oh not sure if i'm i felt quite comfortable in that in that um creative path and and now i'm moving to another one um well i think that's that's good i mean it's good to challenge ourselves i think in that way and i think as we're, we're creative people i think you know you put your hands to lots of things i mean sporty people they do lots of different sports, you know, like lots of footballers are really good at golf and they play tennis and they do, you know, so why is it, you know, I'm not saying they're doing it to a professional level, but you know, it's okay to do those things. So I think mm. it's okay to dabble in other things. If you're a creative person, you want to make stuff. And, and it all, so if you, it all informs each other as well as you think you don't yeah, necessarily realize at the time, you know, mm. Even I think there's a difficulty sometimes in tying up, a career and a living with creativity that's yeah. sort of its own thing which i've been interested to talk to you about actually so you've mm. you've written that book and you're saying you go through the process of sending that out to people what was that process like and what did you learn from that and what would you suggest to anybody else on that road they've written a thing or they want to write a thing and and the next i mean is it different for writers to how it is for a band where you can just book shows and go and play and grab people i guess it's a little bit different if you've written something pop yeah, I mean, publishing is inc- is is an incredibly slow industry. It it plods. Whereas mm. you know, like from like doing music, you can you might be waiting to hear from people, but at mm. least you can go out and do stuff. Whereas you know, you, you write a story, you send it out, you might not hear back, and if you do hear back, it might be months later. Or and then and then you know, my first book, that first book I wrote, that I you know I sent it out and actually got a publishing deal fairly uh, six within six months i got a publishing deal on it but then it took like four years to come out really <laughs> you know right. and that's just nuts and that's nuts and that's not unusual um two years is 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 usual for a, for a for a book to take to come out and so you're waiting for this stuff or something and and you know as creative people i mean as a creative person i'm a, i'm an impatient creative person yes. i want to do stuff yesterday so uh um yeah and I think I, I found that really hard to take um, going from 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 music, which I felt was quite fast paced in a lot of ways, to going to something that's really slow and frustrating and and kind of creates an anxiety sometimes. I think. I mean, I've talked to a lot of authors about this that it does. It creates a bit of an anxiety because you don't hear from people. You know, even your agents sometimes. Actually, I've got a really good agent. She's very very receptive. But I've had agents in the past who just don't get back to you. And then it's some vague kind of, you know, message. And you feel like you're a bit powerless sometimes with it, I think. 
Whereas I think when you're in a band, you're a little bit more in control. I know, especially at the early, in the early days where you're kind of booking your own gigs and you're you know you're you're out there sort of promoting yourselves and stuff. Um, I think I suppose with any creative industries, once you get sort of locked in to it being more structured in regards to your earning a living or whatever, then I guess you lose some of that power anyway. But, but yeah, I don't know. I find, I did find it a big adjustment thing and it's something I still struggle with really with, with publishing. I find it, find it really, it's quite soul destroying sometimes. And is that why then that you've, you've come on to doing podcasts and that sort of stuff? Because that's something that you can be in control of and do in those periods of waiting for other stuff to happen. Yeah, I mean, the podcast thing I'd wanted to do for, I mean, back those days when I was starting writing, I mean, I think podcasts had just started to come out probably, yeah, around the time my son was born, which was like sort of 2007 he was born. So, I mean, I guess around that time I was starting to listen to things like Ricky Gervais show mm-hmm. and they were sort of, you know, I think I got my first iPod and I was starting to sort of get into it. And I thought, oh, this is really fun and I did remember talking to a guy about it, a friend of mine who was an actor, thinking, oh, let's do a, like a comedy kind of podcast. Um, but it was so daunted by the prospect of all the sort of technical side of it, um, even though I've been in bands and stuff, but just the kind of idea of actually releasing it. I kind of think I still thought it was something, it wouldn't something that amateurs could do. I think I thought it was still, I mean, because I was listening to, you know, like Ricky Gervais stuff, they were like, like you know, professional productions. And I I thought it was still something that was unachievable. Mm-hmm. And so I just forgot about it. But I remember I, I spoke to my wife about this recently. I wrote a list about around that time of all the different things I wanted to do in the next sort of 10, 15 years. And that was one of the things on it was, was do a podcast. So it was always something that was there germinating. And I think it really came out of a time of more, more out of a time of creative block, like, you know, the, obviously the, the, the idea of the podcast is blank. It's those blank moments, you know, whether it's creatively or, you know, we've, we obviously, we talk about other aspects of blank blankness or, or difficulties mm. during our lives on the podcast. It's kind of evolved a little bit, but it certainly started with the idea of being through a, a difficult time. And I was finding it hard to get um, any work. So I wasn't, you know, I wasn't able to sell anything and I was finding it hard to, you know, and get frustrated with, with the publishing industry a little bit, not knowing really what anyone wanted. Um, it certainly didn't want my work. And so wanting to just find another creative outlet. Um, and then, uh, yeah. So, so yes, in a, it, it, to a certain extent it was out of that kind of frustration and, and not being able to, I guess, um, yeah, take control of my own destiny a little bit, I think. Um, yeah. And, and do something different as well i think as well that was a big thing about it quite a few people i spoke to for this will have that it's like i think it's a classic one for actors and I, and the writers as well i haven't really thought about it before but like you're waiting for a part to exist that someone else has written that you're going to suit and you're going to be yeah. in the right place and all that so you can put yourself out there but if the right thing isn't there it's going to take some time to come through so that's that's difficult so in the meantime if you're putting well in more normal times if you're putting on fringe mm. theater things and writing one man or one woman shows for yourself to perform then mm. you're doing it and it's that thing like so many people say they're a writer or they're a musician or whatever but they're not doing anything <laughs> and if if you've written something whatever happens with it you're a writer. If you've gone through the yeah. process of sitting down and creating a thing that wasn't there the hour before, then you've you've made a thing. And that's for a lot of people, I think that's the best way for people to discover you anyway, is that if you're putting stuff out there, whatever it happens to be. But what you mentioned was interesting about being put off by the technology. There's so many blocks to creativity, isn't there? It's that whole um, yeah. uh, war of art thing about like, oh, I can't possibly do that because I haven't got the right microphone. Mm. Or, or, you know, with the musician thing again, it's like I can't play shows because my guitar's not good enough and all that crap, which we were sort of talking about before. Audiences don't care, you know, unless it's so bad that it's going to put people off or it's unlistenable or unwatchable. People don't care. Like, it's the content that is interesting to people, I think. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, massively so. Yeah, and uh, it's true about all different things. I mean, even, like, I guess all most creative things feel that um that pressure um but podcast is is just such a great thing i mean as you know you do one yourself um we're talking on one now uh <laughs> they are is. yeah they are <laughs> um 
it's an amazing thing because actually, you know, it isn't, it doesn't take a lot of effort really to set, you know, in regards to like the technology, you don't need to have loads of really spanky mics. You might get to that place, but you know, when, when Jim and I started, we, we had, you know, Jim does another podcast. Um, and, uh, he had some, he had some gear. So, you know, that was okay for us, but yeah, you don't need loads of really expensive equipment and stuff. And like you say, most of the time audiences are only really concerned with what you're saying. Um, not, not the quality of <laughs> the equipment that you're using. So I think, yeah, I think it's a shame that, um, we do that to ourselves sometimes that we, maybe that is, I don't, maybe we're protecting ourselves in those instances from, from failure. You know, we're putting up barriers cause we, we don't want it to be crap. But, um, mm. and I probably was doing that at that point now thinking, oh, this isn't going to be very good. Um, Do you think there's an element of it's easier to to admit that the tech or whatever isn't very good? That's better than sort of maybe admitting what you've made isn't very good. It's less exactly. painful. So it's like, yeah, if, yeah, absolutely. if I complain about the gear, it means I don't have to look at what I've actually <laughs> would have made. Well, we would have done that in the band. Like we were like, oh, the, oh the, you know, the, the drum kit we use the other band's drum kit was shit or, yeah, um, yeah. you know, <laughs> or yeah, my, oh, my, something wrong with my amp. It's not working very well. Um, you know, yeah. so it would be, it would be exactly the same principle and, and, and other bands would do it as well. If they were using your gear, but like, oh, we didn't play very well tonight because your, you know, your mess of boogie was sounded too good. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so you, you, yeah, well, we, we, we would have those kind of, um, yeah, definitely have those kind of moments, I think. If we can just go back to then to that point where you've written a thing and, and you've you're waiting for it to be published. Or even after mm. that one's been successful and that was successful, you you know, that was it sold well, I think, and you won awards for that first book and all that kind of thing. Did you were you made then, or was it just the same plot again once it came to the next hmm. one? Well, that's the thing. You think you think you are. I mean, I think um actually the fierce and beastie, which you just alluded to, is which my first yeah, which was kind of my first picture book. It wasn't the first book I got a, a, a deal for, actually. Right. Um, the first book I got a deal for was um, this kid's book called There's the uh, Things You Never Knew About Dinosaurs, which has recently been released. Um, yeah, that one. And then, like I say, it took several years for it to come out. So in between that, I was like, oh, I really, you know, what, you know, because it just kept taking so long to come out. I kept putting it back and putting it back. Um and so, uh, yeah, I obviously carried on writing and sending stuff out. And it was incredibly difficult to get mm. a second book deal. And, and, and it's remained difficult. I mean, it, you know, I'm very lucky, very, very lucky that I've had like sort of nine kids' books out and, uh, and an adult um, novel. But it's not, it's really hard. I mean, you know, actually recently I've decided to have a bit of a sabbatical from writing because I just can't sell anything. You know, my agent can't get anything away because you know i'm in publishing in a very very tricky situation at the moment um and you know they're gonna i i know they're gonna sort of hedge their bets on on safer things you know they're not gonna look you know i my my stories are a bit more obscure and and, and a bit weird so you know i totally get it um but yeah it's it's not um it's not easy to continue to get success it's not, it's not easy to think, well, it's easy to think that you might've made it and, uh, you know, I'm in the inner circle of trust now mm. and actually the next deal is going to be just around the corner. It's, it doesn't really work like that. Um, you know, you have to start again almost nearly after every, every publishing deal. Um, cause often these, they are one-off deals a lot of the time, you know, it's one book. It's different if you've got a series of books or something like, or if you're writing a, writing a, you know, a trilogy or, or whatever, you know, like, or like, like say a series of stories in the, in the same, um, yeah. in the same genre or whatever, but it's, it's not, no, it's not easy. Um, if you're doing one-off books, it's, yeah, you're starting again each time really. Um, and there's a good chance that that publisher won't like your next story. Um, and then you've got to try and find somewhere else that might like it. And that's hard. It's really hard. And hard in terms of how that affects your, the sort of mentality of it presumably as well it's like because i sort of had, oh when, yeah when i started doing crazy stuff you have this because of all the band biographies you read and all the rest of it and hollywood the way they portray this stuff you you have a 
idea of a career that goes like that. Well, for people listening, I was just doing an upwards trajectory there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you pretty soon discover it's not like that. You're here and then you're down there, you know, you're playing some yeah. great festival, but then next week you've got 12 people in a pub. And it and, and it can be very yeah. hard to to get why that is, particularly if you feel like, well, I'm still making stuff that's as good, or in fact, the stuff's even better than it was two years mm-hmm. ago. What is – so it's difficult, isn't it? Do you have moments where you, you're doubting what you do or do you always feel quite confident in – what you're oh, actually constantly. making constantly doubting yeah and constantly. Is, and the other side of that is the stuff that has been picked up and been successful in whatever way do you think that's your best stuff or is the stuff that you think is best is the stuff that's had less recognition um i don't know about that um like it's hard isn't it because like you could write um you can write an album and your biggest hit is not the one you thought was going to be the biggest hit. Mm-hmm. And as you know, you don't ever know what's going to go well necessarily when you, when you release stuff. Um, and then sometimes it's a nice surprise when it, you know, when it is that one. So I don't know about that, but yeah, I mean, going back to the doubt thing. Yeah. It's, 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 um, it's hard. It's hard. I mean, you know, you know, from your own experiences, it's difficult. Um, and, and it's even worse now because we get to see what everyone else is doing. <laughs> um, and so, you know, you're, we're constantly bombarded with, you know, and I'm sure people think that about like me or, you know, you who see something you're doing well and, and they feel the same thing, you know, they, they think, oh God, but you know, I'm just as, I can just as capable. Um, and my, my work's just as good as theirs. What's it not, you know, yeah. why am I not having these opportunities? It, yeah, um, it's a nightmare, isn't it? Like, <laughs> I think you tweeted something the day actually about if you're paying attention to what other people are doing, just stop it <laughs> and sort of yeah. focus on your thing because yeah, the whole social media you, thing, everybody tends to just put out the best of themselves and all the wonderful things that are happening. It's the same. We're in, selling stuff, aren't we, at the moment, at the end of the day? That is exactly right. And it's easy mm. to forget that, isn't it? And even though you know that a lot of it is bullshit, or it, it might not be lies, but they're just focusing yeah. on the positive bits they're not telling you about the less good bits um but then how great are people who do like i follow some writers and stuff who are like natalie antonia who's on this is a comedy writer mm-hmm. her sort of pinned tweet is something along the lines of um remember writers i was rejected 42 times before i had my 43rd rejection and it's just like yeah, <laughs> yeah brilliant like because you can and that she's much more interesting to follow than someone who's just like you know here's my latest great piece of art Absolutely. And I think that's a, going back to podcasts, that's a great way for people to open up and actually be a bit more honest in a, you know, in a long form interview, you can actually, you know, and one of the reasons why we did blank podcast was so we could hear those stories, you know, yeah. it was Jim and I, Jim is a comedian. He was having the fear of doing stand up. Um, again, imposter syndrome and not thinking that he, he was good enough and he wanted to, you know, find out about how he could get over that. And I was trying to get through um, a creative um, kind of dip in my creativity with writing and, and various other things. And, you know, it meant that we could talk to, and what was great was that we got, you know, you get these amazing, you know, on the surface, you think like they are living the dream and they are to a certain extent, but they've still got the same neurosis and anxieties and, and moments of, you know, like I say, social anxiety or imposter syndrome or whatever it might be as the same as anybody else. And, you know, we'll quite easily say that going like their careers are like you just alluded to that wave, a wavy line as opposed to a, a uh, you know, you going up a hill kind of thing. So that's, that's really good. And I think that, you know, you get that in a lot of um, long form interviews, you do hear about the, the more difficult, sides of creativity which is mm. really useful for people i think because you just don't know any of that stuff when you're going in you're sort of thinking woohoo i can you know it's particularly if you like have some sort of immediate immediate success yes. at some points or you know if you you know i was really fortunate that you know the band i was in got to do some really cool stuff and we thought we were you know gonna gonna make it um we nearly did and then you know i got a a book deal fairly swiftly after starting to do writing, um, you know, so I've been really fortunate and lucky. And then, you, you know, you think that's, 
you know, kind of lulls you in to thinking that, you know, this is, oh, this is a, this is a piece of piss. I can, I can, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to rule the roost, but of course it's not like that, is it? It's just, you know, um, and you have to also accept that that's great, you know, which, you know, I, I do, I, I know how fortunate and great, and I'm really grateful for everything that I've, you know, that I've had and, and, um, that people, you know, if, and, and your, I think my mentality has changed quite a lot actually over the last few years, although, you know, like the writing is still, it's still difficult to take those rejections. Um, just knowing that I've had some stuff released and that a few people have listened, you know, have, have read them and a few people listen to our podcast and, you know, a few people have downloaded some songs of, of my band on Spotify. That's all, you know, that's all I can ask for really. Mm. Um, and anything else is, is, is a bonus. Um, and the fact, you know, I've been able to make these things. That's the, that's the main thing really. Um, but it's not always easy to say. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm speaking to myself as I'm saying this. Well, if it's anything like it is for me, it's like you have moments where it's very nice to be philosophical like that. And it's like, yeah, with the, with a gig yeah. in and that it's like, Oh, I get to travel around. Well, not this year, but I get to travel around these interesting places that I wouldn't go otherwise. That's really nice. And people turn up and watch. That's nice. But it's not always easy to be in that frame of uh, mind, yeah. is it? And it comes back to what you were saying earlier. Yes, that is nice, but why aren't five times as many turning up like they are for Joe yeah. over there, whatever? But, you know, that's all part of the fun. Something I thought was interesting as well with, with your books, a lot of your books being children's books, is mm. what's it like having a, having that audience? Because I presume if they like something, like they really like it and they let you know, those must be quite exciting moments. Yeah, I mean, I do. Well, I have done in the past lots of school visits, and mm. you go, and yeah, that you, it's funny actually because I do some talk sometimes about how I became, you know, a sort of silly, kind of funny, anecdotal kind of presentation I do with the big like um, mm-hmm. on the big board and everything, and have like a PowerPoint presentation. I try and put some sort of silly like images and stuff, and I kind of allude to the fact that you know like Star Wars was the kind of open, it was the sort of uh, catalyst for storytelling for me and, and then all these kind of things. And then talk about being in the band and wanting to be a footballer and all these sort of things. And uh, you can soon see when people are starting to shut off, <laughs> when, when kids yeah. are starting to get a bit bored or um, fidgety and everything. You, 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 <laughs> yeah, the, the, the honesty is... Um, pours out sometimes so yeah you can be very um walk back down to earth very very quickly <laughs> in those moments um but that's quite nice i quite like that uh i think that's great and i mean i you know obviously my my boys are 13 and 11 now so they're a bit older so they're not really at the right age for picture books but in the past i've obviously read stuff to them and they've been very blunt and honest with uh, their opinions on whether they think they're any good and <laughs> um, so that's that's helpful to have that sounding board for sure but yeah I really enjoy doing like school visits it's it's really and and uh, uh, you know libraries and things like that as well just yeah just interacting with kids and they've got you know I often try and do sort of creative um writing um activities and stuff sometimes especially in schools and you get some amazing ideas out of them they're just yeah so it's really fun part of the job doing that kind of stuff, definitely. Mm. And the other thing about like we've all had books that we were so keen on when we were kids and you kind of live with those authors forever, really. You know, even as you grow up, maybe you go through a point where you're like, well, it's a bit bit childish for me now because I'm too cool. But then I yeah. think you come back to it a bit when you're older, don't you? Particularly then as people have their own kids, it's like, oh, this book meant a lot to me. I'm going to yeah, yeah, definitely. It and there's yeah. something really sweet in that. Yeah, that's lovely. That's a lovely thought as well to have that, you know, someone's got your, you know, when people message you and say, oh, you know, we were reading a bedtime story tonight, we were reading one of your books. That's really lovely mm. to have that. Mm. Um, and it's really nice when people reach out and tell you that as well. Um, yeah, it's um, it's a privilege. It really is. It's a privilege to do. And it's a privilege to know that, um, like you say, people people take something from it and that they might, at some point, you know, hand that book on to another generation or something like that. That is, that's really lovely. Um, and I, you know, I hope that does happen with some of our books, but it's just, yeah, uh, it's a, it's, it's a, uh, it's a really fun, um, thing to do. It's fun to write 
they're fun to write children's um, picture books in particular. They are really fun to write. And um, it's really special when they get produced because they, because they're so, you know, because of the illustrations and everything. And it's quite a collab, you know, it's much more collaborative kind of process than people probably imagine because mm. of all the different people involved. It's really special when you see those books when they're finished. And I, I know, and each one of the books I've done, I've, I'm really proud of because it's just, yeah, yeah, it's really special when you see them. Collaboration is something I wanted to ask you about, actually. So, mm. what you've just said sort of um, answers it already in a way. But like when you're writing, it's quite a solitary thing, I imagine. Mm. Um, getting the illustrations together and and your publisher and your editors and all that is a different thing. But I wondered whether part of the attraction with the podcast is that it is a collaboration, like between you and your co-hosts and guests mm. and stuff. It's whether that's Absolutely. something about it because it was is for me like a lot of my music is on my own and all the other stuff that I do so it's great to have conversations with people and and sort of you know hopefully jump on their knowledge a bit <laughs> and also their fan base and stuff as well and potentially reach people who don't know anything about you or whatever but yeah have an interest in what you're talking about well I think I guess I've always enjoyed collaboration because that's kind of all I've known in to a certain extent I'm going back to that point we were making about moving from doing music to doing writing. That was one of the things I found difficult was I'm on my own doing this. Mm. And when you're in a band with four other guys, which had been my first sort of foray into creativity, you know, you, you, you create stuff together, so, you know, in a room, you're making music together and lyrics and all that kind of stuff. But you've also got those sounding boards, like whether it's performing or whether it's, you know, you know, you've got people got your back to a certain extent. Um, so you've got all those sort of elements in place, whereas, you know, writing is very solitary. Um, and that was, that was a difficult thing to, to, to do. But I know, I knew when I started doing the podcast, that I didn't want to do it on my own. I really wanted to do it with someone else. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that was, re- that was really integral at the beginning. And I knew I wanted to do it with someone who was like-minded and, mm. um, and had some experience, which, which Jim had. And so, yeah, that was really important for me. Uh, and yeah, like I say, having that, having, cause, we, cause it's, cause it's an interview podcast, you, you know, you do have that guest and you have that collaboration of ideas. I mean, that's that idea, you know, and I've learned so much. I mean, Jim and I say that it's therapy for us every week doing the, and it is, you know, because we get to talk about all these different subjects. But I've learned, I've learned so much about, so many different things you know and a lot about myself as well like through doing it and you know jim and i try and just be facilitators for conversation on 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 blank but you know we do you know we do get off to get involved as well and give our opinions but yeah i've just learned so much stuff and yeah and i think um but the key to 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 all those things and all these projects and stuff has been collaboration and and going back to the the book stuff which people don't realize is obviously yeah you write it on your own but once it going through the publishing process it is a real team effort you know you've got editors designers um you've got the sales teams you know there's this whole kind of backroom staff of people doing all these different things you know and you know books would be half half the quality they are without editors you know mm-hmm. so it is a real collaboration and like particularly with picture books because you're obviously got an illustrator as well so you know they're more than half of the of the um vision of the book you know because there is a visual um, medium so yeah so collaboration is always I, I i get excited by collaboration working with other people on things um yeah i don't know if that answers your question yeah definitely <laughs> no, it's good and it, you know one of the cool things i find with people is it's so there's so many different ways of doing this creative stuff, whether it is the lonely artist in their garret writing something and hopefully getting it out into the world or whether it's a group of people doing things and they're all valid and it keeps it interesting. Like I think coming back to what we were saying about trying different things is there's, you mentioned something about you, you felt quite comfortable in the band scenario. And I think one of the dangers mm. you can fall into is like, oh, I'm fairly good at so-and-so now. I know what I'm doing at so-and-so and you get a bit, boring i think <laughs> whereas mm-hmm. to go into something that you're not very good at and you're kind of like whoa then there's so much to learn and take on but then what's the point of life if you're not doing new stuff it's boring to just keep repeating the same stuff isn't it really and like you know all kinds of i've tied up a lot of that with 
with age actually, which is weird. Sort of you get in, I'm in my early 30s and you're like, I've been doing this music for ages and I'm in the same position I was in before. But it's like, well, that's all right. <laughs> and you can try different stuff, you know, like it's good to be a beginner again, I think. And it all informs the stuff you already do. Yeah, and I think for me, I guess sometimes like changing or sorry, doing a new project has come out of necessity. Yeah. Um, you know, like I'm clinging to the the cliff edge of the of the old thing that I was doing and trying to pull myself up with something new. Mm. Um, and that certainly happened along the way. Definitely, like obviously the band stuff, I was kind of coming to a that was coming to an end, and then finding writing, and then you know pushing myself in that direction, and then the writing was having you know having a blip in the writing then it was starting to do the podcasting and you know who who knows what the next thing would be like fencing or something yeah. um but yeah it's always kind of yeah and i think that is good i think it's good to it's good to be uncomfortable i think i think you and if you use that word uncomfortable but yeah good to be uncomfortable and push yourself and and dig into things that you haven't tried before. I mean, I was so scared about doing podcasts. I'd never done any broadcasting before. People who listen to the, to the podcast probably tell. Um, but yeah, I, you know, it's, and it's still something I'm learning to get better at, but you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it is good to do that to yourself. Sometimes I think push yourself in certain directions that you wouldn't necessarily, um, necessarily thought of yourself doing um but then of course you know you you desperately want to avoid imposter syndrome but that's it unfortunately is impossible if you're trying new things but um i think that's good sometimes it's it's probably a good thing to have imposter syndrome sometimes because it it actually um makes you think a bit more about what you're doing um just to so yeah so i think yeah yeah um and last things then fairly technical things in a way i guess with the mm. podcast, how does booking guests work? And has that changed as the podcast has become more uh, established? Were you starting off with people that one of you already knew or or was it just cheeky emails and seeing what came back? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm lucky that I've got a few well-known followers on Twitter. Um, so you kind of DM a few people and say, do you mind coming like this is, I mean, basically was really honest with people said, so this is the concept of the podcast. Would you be, you know, would you be up for having a conversation with us? Um, and um, probably more luck than judgment. People were, were, up for, were up for it. I think as long as you're kind of honest about what you're doing and like not, you know, fanning about and just saying that this is, um, um, you know, this is, this is basically the, the principle of it all. And, and this is kind of what we're trying to get across. And, you know, and, you know, if you can give us, you know, an hour of your time, that would be amazing. And well, yeah, you just got lucky. A few people said yes. And then that kind of snowballs it a little bit. Cause then you say, Oh, so-and-so's coming on and, you know, and it gives it a bit of legitimacy and kudos. Um, but mainly, yes, yeah, mainly been via Twitter. I would say like Twitter has been the generate generator for it. I mean, Jim and I met via Twitter um we're both big crystal palace football fans and so we kind of know each other through that and then yeah and sort of cemented that friendship by twitter and then we met up it funny enough it was two years ago this week that we met up in um brighton to discuss doing it and um yeah and then we j- i just sort of dm'd a, f- a bunch of people and then some of the, some people i've just mess literally just tweeted them and said can i can i message you about coming on um just directly kind of just yeah and then and then and then more latterly it's been yeah trying to do it through agents but it's it's always much easier if you talk to the people in person i think the agents obviously put some barriers up they want to know figures and all that kind of stuff so um which i totally get i I totally understand why that happens but um yeah i think it's always easier if you can have a conversation with the person and then once they've agreed, then you can talk to an agent about arranging it. But uh, yeah, but I think, yeah, we've just been super lucky. I mean, we've, we've had some amazing people on and it's probably like timing a lot of the time, you know, yeah. just getting people at the right time and, and or they've got, you know, um, something to say. Um, and actually <clears throat> during this period, it's been, and the, people have been at home. So obviously we've had to adapt how we, 
how we make the podcast. Um, but it does mean some other people or people that we have tried to get in the past have been available. Uh, you know, but ideally, you know, ideally we'd, we always liked, we've always liked to have done it in person. I mean, that's always been our, has always been our bag really is meeting up with people so we can have that sort of one-to-one so you think you'll go back to that once the situation allows well yeah it's funny because yeah i mean hopefully at some point i mean we've um we're we're booked all the way up to new year with guests um and we are going to do them all remotely i think jim and i just decided it would be easier because we just because i mean the studio we use we use acast studio acast are our web host, um, mm. our um, podcast host, and they've got a little studio that we use often. And I think their offices are still closed, so it's quite a small studio. So I don't think there's any likelihood of us going back in there. And then, and then, you know, often we're asking people if we can go to their their houses and stuff to do it. Um, and again, you don't want to impose at this time, so and you're not allowed to either. So I think um, it will be a while before we get back into the groove of doing it in person. But I should think at some point we will. Um, well, hopefully we will. Mm. Um, but actually, you know, it's been interesting doing it via Zoom and stuff. I mean, it's been a different, you know, we started off using um, Zencaster, which is obviously just audio. Um, but we soon realized that we needed to have that um, visual. Yeah. I think it's so much better, particularly when you're doing it with um, someone else. Because, you know, generally, like if we're in a room with each other, we do give ourselves sort of eye contact and cues. One of us is sort of losing the thread a little bit you know you can kind of like give a nod to the other one and so you can't we kind of need sometimes have that that visual recognition and actually just seeing the guest as well is nicer um definitely think it's nicer to have that so yeah i think it's, uh, it's mainly down to the sort of technical stuff that makes it more difficult when you're trying to sort of get people to record on garage band or or um audacity or whatever their end if, if, so we can get the best quality but that's you know it's just one of those things you, I think like we've, we talked about earlier, it's, you know, it's more us as produ- producers that we want it to sound perfect and not the, the listeners don't, don't seem to mind as much. Mm. And I was reading earlier about 152 days and the fact that that, mm. which was the book you mentioned is the one that had finished before. Lana. And you've gone through unbound with that one, which is kind of like the crowdfunding mm. publisher. So I just wanted to, talk about that a little bit really and mm. and does that fit in with what you were mentioning earlier about the way that the publishing industry is at the moment and the fact that it sounds very similar to music and tv and everything else everything's been squashed a bit because there's so much mm. competition so those sort of companies i think need to or feel that they need to really focus on the stuff that they think is going to be successful of course that's difficult because you never know what's going to be successful but hey ho so then they don't take risks the way perhaps they may have done in the past so is that what's sort of led to the crowdfunding thing yeah i think so yeah i mean like you say yeah not, not taking risks paying big advances to established authors and celebrities as well i would say is, is quite significant as well so there's not as much money to go around i, I totally understand you know again it's um it's less it's risk averse isn't it it's less risk averse, mm. i suppose to a certain extent although you could you know you could argue that um it might those those things might not sell either even if you give a celebrity a big a big advance but so there's there's less money around i guess for more obscure stuff and i'm bound to you know are picking up the pieces of that stuff you know like i think a lot of uh of authors uh writers and illustrators have gone through them because they have a great piece of work, but they just can't get anyone to take a, a punt on it. Mm. Um, I think, you know, and they've published some big stuff. I mean, they've got Vic Reeves has got an art book coming out with them soon. And they've had Terry Jones, um, Jackie Morris, who's a huge children's illustrator. She's just done a book with them recently. Um, and a bunch of other sort of big profile, high profile people have started writing with them. It's more media. It's quicker. You get it to your audience faster. It's hard work doing the crowdfund, obviously. Um, that is tricky, and you're obviously asking a lot of your your followers and stuff. You know, that was you know, my book was pretty much people through Twitter um, being very generous and kind. Um, and so, yeah, so that there's that element to it, which is you know, this is tough and it can be quite demoralising at times when you're not. Uh, you know, try, you know, when you're trying to get this thing made, um, 
but you know we've seen that with you know loads of people have been doing you know film projects and music projects and all, all sorts you know animation projects whatever it might be through kickstarter for years so i think you know we probably do um something in publishing um and i think you know it's great and it once it's you know once you've you've funded that um initial thing which is basically is is people pre-ordering it yeah um you know uh it kicks in like a, a standard publisher you know you in it's like no other you know and it's it's an interesting um it's a really interesting way of doing things because basically you're asking you're trying to find out you're you're seeing if the, there's a market for your book um you know you're seeing whether it's not just friends and family buying it, it's people that are interested in the book and want to read it so that's that's a really interesting um kind of uh business um um i don't know what the word i'm trying to find um but yeah it's a really interesting idea to to have that and uh you'd be able to find out if people actually do want to read your book you know as opposed to the, the more traditional way of um getting it published and you might not see any sales and at least you know that you've got a bunch of sales already you know yeah, you, know, yeah, you yeah. know you know that a bunch of people are going to read your work which is really nice um it's a nice feeling for for an author to know that you know you sold a bunch of copies and and a bunch of people are going to read your books so yeah so it's, it was really good it was a really good i i enjoyed the process it was really you know it was um uh just great to see the book out there um it was it was a book that like so, like a, quite a lot of people who who write and have written books that have, um, particularly personal books. I mean, it's very personal books about my, you know, it's sort, sort of semi autobiographical. And I, it, my agent sent it round to pretty much every publisher in the UK, um, and almost every one of them came back with positive, you know, every every editor that we spoke to came back with positive feedback, um saying this is you know we really you know they really love this book and then not but none of them would would publish it um because it was it's written in verse and it's about terminal illness it's not necessarily something that a lot of people want to read about but um but obviously doing the unbound um campaign sort of proved that, that there was a market for it is this a good time to be writing books and getting them out to people well, I think all creative industries are struggling a bit at the moment. Is particularly obviously f- during the pandemic, um, it's difficult, and I think a lot of creative industries are being more cautious. But, you know, publishing is no different to any you know others. Obviously, it's not as badly hit as as the entertainment industries or, or comedy. Um, you know, they're, they're they're in far you know far more difficult um, places at the moment so you know people can still order books online and, and and read and people are you know people are reading at the moment a lot more perhaps um but you know i think still publishing is is is, is difficult um but i think it's been challenging for quite a few years um if i'm being honest uh so i think yeah so whether it's a good time to be an author full stop i don't know not necessarily for myself, it's not a good time. Um, but I think there are publishers like Unbound who are really filling a gap for for people that want to get their work out there um, and are passionate about their work. Um, so, yeah, I think there are other routes that can be taken these days. Um, a friend of mine's just recently um, released a book via Amazon's publishing arm. Mm. So, like um doing it doing it via that so there are lots of other options if you want to get your work out there and you know you can get your music on spotify and itunes if you haven't got a record deal so and some of that stuff's great um so you know i think there are some great books that possibly aren't finding homes with traditional publishers that really important that these books get out there and and there is a platform for them to do that Charles, that's been fascinating. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat to me. If people want to catch up with you and see the projects that you're working on, what's the best way to do that? Twitter seems to be like your main home, I think. Yeah, I guess, yeah, it's my uh, spiritual home, Twitter, even though it's can be very 
um dark at times but yeah now i'm <laughs> it's it, yeah that's where i'm at most of the time but yeah um yeah twitter facebook instagram at eli's tender 10 you can find me but yeah social media is normally the best place to find me great and also check out the blank podcast and the newer podcast that you're doing as well tell us a little bit about that one yeah a little bit of positive which i do with julia bradbury broadcaster julia bradbury yeah it's all about positivity um we're both quite positive people and we wanted to, to talk to other positive people and or, or hear about positive stories hmm. um so yeah first season is available now there's eight episodes and then we're back again in the autumn with some more right um yeah it's positive stories um inspiring people and positive news um so yeah i think we all could do with a bit of that this year so um God, yeah, yeah i think it's important to get it out there great thank you giles no thank you robert we appreciate it thank you for listening i hope you enjoyed that see you next time on the robert lane creative careers podcast if you could subscribe to the podcast share it like it comment on it review it tell all your friends about it all of those things would be fantastic because the more that people do that the more that new people get a chance to hear the podcast join the community and enjoy the content that we're putting out you can find me at robertlanemusic.co.uk and i'm on facebook twitter instagram as robert lane music Please get in touch, let me know if you're enjoying the programmes and who you think I should talk to in the future. Thank you, until next time, goodbye.